Okay, so today, friends, we're reading a story called Hewitt Anderson's Great Big Life, and it's by Jardine Noland and illustrated by Kadir Nelson, and read today by Mommy and... Step up. Step up? That's a fun name. Step up! So, <clears throat> buckle up, friends. Here we go. Mommy. Yes? That was mm-hmm. Darth Vader what? saying, step up, Luke Skywalker. Who? And then he fell down. And oh. then Skywalker fell down. Oh, dear. And then Luke Skywalker fell on his mm. bottom leg. Oh, dear. Like this. Oh, that must have not been fun. And, and mm. then Darth Vader... We're into the reactor shaft. Oh, you know what I think I might need to do is get a um, Star Wars story going here one of these days. But today's story is not about Star Wars. It's about a little boy. So, shall we read about him? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Hewitt Anderson lived with his parents in an enormous house at the edge of town. His parents believed big things were best. They boasted a grand and impressive residence overlooking the valley below. What they do you have an enormous H. It is an enormous H in the story, in the book. What do you think that means, though? Those are some big words. They boasted a grand and impressive residence. What do you suppose that is? But what is a residence? Do you know what a residence is? I don't know. It's a place where you reside. Do you know what another word for reside is? Mm-hmm. You live. It's a place where you live. It is their home. A residence is your home. Okay. Their house was marvelous for giving parties. The Andersons gave bountiful banquets elegant teas, and glorious garden parties that sometimes lasted for days. And Hewitt celebrated many happy birthdays there with his loving family. That doesn't sound too bad. Oh, my, though. Hewitt Anderson lived happily and contentedly with his mother and father in the vast marvels of their home, a perfect house for giants. But alas, poor Hewitt was not. He was very, very small. While his parents loved him dearly, his size was a source of great worry and concern for the J. Carver Worthington Andersons. How could a normal-sized boy be born to a family of giants? And in the picture we see How big are his mom and dad? Enormous. And how big is he? As small as a Lego. It does look like that. Yep. I would say his parents, if they are giants, then definitely their little boy is about the size of a Lego. Just just like a miracle. That's right. I'm like a giant for miracles, and miracle is just like the... Mm. Our friends who are listening might not know 
that we have a niece, mommy has a niece who is Philip's cousin and her name is Marigold and she's about four months old and she's hanging out with us today. Isn't that right, Marigold? So you might hear a little baby <clears throat> in the background. Moving on. Okay. Never in the entire generations of the J. Carver Worthington Addison or C. Mabel Luther Butters clans had anything like this ever occurred. Oh my. Well, you can see in the picture there's a lot of family pictures here. And it looks as though our friend is pretty small compared to all of those pictures. Let's keep reading. Small, pint size, and miniature had never been a part of their vocabularies or their lives. After all, they believed big things were best. In fact, all of the Andersons and Butters' relations and friends of their relations were giants. Ever since their great, great, great grandmother Ida came to the valley, after that business with the beanstalk, the family had been known as people of great stature and girth. Hewitt had many friends, too, giants galore. But nothing could change the fact that Mr. and Mrs. Anderson's own beloved son, Hewitt, was so very small. Teeny-weeny, in fact. It was something Hewitt's parents had to live with and accept. For they loved their sweet little bundle of joy, but... Uh, how they worried about his size. And friends, I would like to go ahead and point out here that everything in their house is so big that even the picture frames with the tiny pictures of people still make Hewitt look really small. But there was something else that, they, that the story said. The business with the beanstalk. What do you suppose that is about? Hmm... Well, I know a story that has a beanstalk in it, and it has a boy named... Hewitt. Well, Jack is who I was thinking of. And he climbs up the beanstalk. Do you remember him? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see what else goes on. And Hewitt was hopelessly in love with them, too, of course. He loved the ah and wonder of them, the deep baritones of his father, and the resounding, splendid melodies of his mother. Those are great words. Guys, this book is full of wonderful words. Do you know what a baritone is? Well, let me explain it to you. Men, when they sing, their voice goes into one of three places. The high singing voices are, for a man is a tenor. The middle singing voice for a man is a baritone. And the low singing voice for a man is the bass. And for women, there's also that as well. For the high singing women, it's a soprano. For the middle singing women, it's a mezzo. And for the low singing women, it's called altos. So let's keep going. <clears throat> when his father chose to sing great operatic versions of nursery rhymes, his mother would join in, creating wonderful duets and harmonies that made Hewitt's liver quiver and tickled his funny bone right down to his shoes. He'd laugh endlessly after being serenaded for hours. Again! 
<laughs> again, Papa and Mama, sing again, sing again, Hewitt squealed. And of course, they never disappointed their extraordinary son and gave him more and more. Hewitt, so comforted while listening to the melodies, found it a perfect way to fall asleep, nestled in the deep well of his father's massive hands. Oh, Miss Marigold has something to say about that. I'm showing her the pictures too. And she sees the little boy in the palm of his father's hand. It, it, he looks like he's about the size of a Lego. Yeah, I know, baby girl. Yeah, I know, baby girl. Now, Hewitt loved riding around inside his father's shirt pocket or seeing from the perch of his mother's brimmed bonnet. It was impossible for the three of them to hold hands while out in their morning or afternoon walks as did many families in their neighborhood. So while his parents held hands, Hewitt sat in the folds of their entwined fingers, which made a nice hammock for him. He was gently lulled to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this picture we see he's sitting on the brim of her hat. Do you know what the brim of someone's hat is? Can you describe that? It's like the tip of the hat. It's like the part of the hat that sticks out over your face. Okay. He was gently lulled to sleep with the rhythm and motion of their walking, all while his parents secretly hoped that Hewitt was getting the rest and nutrition he needed to grow. But Hewitt was now five, and he wasn't much bigger than when he was born. Yeah. Amazingly, it took a great deal of planning and preparation for Hewitt's parents to care for the mouse-likeness of their child. At times, it was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Whenever Hewitt's parents swept the floor, they had to always keep an eye out for him. Once or twice, Hewitt managed to avoid the broom just in time. Because Hewitt was small, he was able to hunker down between the floorboards, holding on until he was out of harm's way. There were some things, however, that would require more attention and consideration. Things in the way of furnishings, for example. Do you know what furnishings are? Mm hmm furniture. <laughs> like couches and beds and things like that. Hewitt had inherited the very bed his father had slept in as a boy. It was a fine-sized bed for a growing giant, but it was entirely too large for Hewitt. Just the same, he loved the bed. He never had to make it because he never mussed his blankets or rumpled his sheets. The feather mattress and pillow were fun for flopping down on. The tassels on the bedposts were just right for climbing. And when Hewitt got lost in his blankets, he pretended he was on a mining expedition. To Hewitt, the world was big and wonderful and wide. And Marigold agrees. His parents tried not to be too concerned about Hewitt's safety and well-being, but the summer Hewitt turned seven, he suffered a rather close call. I wonder what the, the close call was. While preparing the seven-layer cake for Hewitt's birthday party, his mother, in her haste, had to create a fitting masterpiece. Displaced poor Hewitt. As Hewitt was trapped in for an hour in a vat of flour, his parents began their relentless 
and public worry for the child they had loved more than life itself. Finally, Hewitt climbed out of the measuring cup. Hewitt told his parents repeatedly that they could, that he could take care of himself, but uh, worry they did. Can you imagine getting lost in a vat of flour? I can't. I bet that was probably pretty hard to get out of. Doctors were called in. Specialists from all around the world made frequent visits to the Anderson home, but no one could explain the circumstances surrounding Hewitt's small and unimposing stature. Dr. Gargantuan, a family scientist, a brilliant scientist and family friend, tried to calm their growing worries. He will grow. It's, he's just a bit of a late bloom, he reassured them. Or, he said, perhaps this is the opposite of a growth spurt. Finally came his suggestion. I could make Hewitt my life's work. Think of the fame, the celebrity for your family. But his parents would not hear of such a thing. They adored their puny, frail, delicate bundle of joy. Believing Big was best, they took it upon themselves to set things right, to see to it that Hewitt had a big life with big things in it. The next morning, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson awoke in the best of spirits. Today would be survival lesson one, swimming. But in Mrs. Anderson's hurry to cheer her family on, she tripped and fell. Her tumble caused Mr. Anderson to miss an opportunity for a perfect tin double somersault pike. The two of them created quite a splash in the bond, a near tidal wave, in fact, and little Hewitt, who was already quite fond of water, was washed clear to the other end of the estate into the garden maze. Quickly, they had rushed to him, but because Hewitt was small, he'd already found his way out through a shortcut under the boxwood wall. Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, on the other hand, wandered aimlessly for a good part of the morning before Hewitt coached them to an exit. In the end, all was served well as Hewitt showed his talents in the art of solving giant puzzles. And boy, you know what? I think there might be a benefit here to being small. What do you think? Yeah? For survival lesson two, Mr. Anderson would show Hewitt how to climb a beanstalk in the event that he would have to flee the path of an escaped rhinoceros from the nearby zoo. Mr. Anderson felt a surge of his youth again, climbing to the top of the giant Kentucky Wonder beanstalk, with Hewitt tucked safely in his shirt pocket. But reaching the top paralyzed Mr. Anderson with great fear. Hewitt was used to such heights and was not afraid at all. Instantly, Hewitt went into action. Just as a leaf from the mammoth, mammoth beanstalk began to fall, Hewitt held on to the leaf's edge. He was able to float down on the breath of a helpful breeze. And upon landing, he rose to the emergency fire and rescue squad, who arrived minutes later with hooks and ladders and a safety net. Mr. Anderson was shaken by the experience, but was more in awe of his perfectly resourceful son. Then it became clear that the lessons in survival training were not accomplishing their goals. 
Mr. and Mrs. Anderson decided to prepare for their dinner guest, Dr. Gargantuan. Later, to discuss his plans for Hewitt, Dr. Gargantuan arrived before the dinner hour. He tried to, in, to tried in earnest to convince Mr. and Mrs. Anderson that a life of scientific promise awaited Hewitt. He said that purpose could be made of Hewitt's small life. After all, the Andersons listened politely but could hear nothing of it. And so, to lighten the mood, they invited the doctor to view the family's golden egg collection, inherited from great-great-great-grandmother Ida. Their collection of golden eggs could not be duplicated. Golden peacock eggs, golden goose eggs, and of course, ostrich and emu eggs, all of solid, pure gold. And in the picture, we can see the family looking over their treasures and there's something else in here in their treasure room that I would like to point out and for those of us who do not have the book I will put the picture on my Instagram well what do you see there's this big tall thing with strings attached to it what does it look like to you it looks to me like a golden harp what do you think yeah. Now I know another story that has beanstalks and a little boy and a giant and some golden harp action. I wonder if there are any relation. A family of big hearts and generous natures, the Andersons knew this trusted family friend had only the best intentions for Hewitt. They thought it was only fitting to share something of value with Dr. Gargantuan, just not their beloved son. In a moment of inspiration, Mrs. Anderson reached for an egg, which was about the same size as Hewitt. Dear doctor, please accept this token with our thanks and appreciation for your dedication, she said, looking to her husband. The good doctor was so overwhelmed and impressed by the generosity of the gift that, in a fit of excitement, he fell backward, causing the door to shut with such force that it locked them up good and tight but the key had been inadvertently left in the keyhole they all listened downheartedly as the key fell to the ground with a clink do you know what inadvertently means on accident not with not not purposefully done what would become of them would they ever be found? My roast is in the oven, cried Mrs. Anderson worriedly. Then Hewitt had an idea. Because he was so small, he managed to climb into the keyhole, maneuver through the weights and the gears to turn the tumblers to the lock and set them all free. Once again, it was up to Hewitt to save his parents and now the good doctor too. And as always, Hewitt came through. Mr. and Mrs. Anderson watched Hewitt in awe of his hidden talents. He was even more amazing than they thought. Spontaneously, their voices rose in a beautiful aria, and a feeling of overwhelming joy brimmed deep within their hearts for Hewitt. Even the good doctor felt compelled to join in. Do you know what an aria is? 
Well, it's an Italian term that you usually put in operas, and it's really kind of another way of saying a song. It's, it's a song. They're singing. In that moment, the world in the Anderson household changed. Hewitt, standing in all his splendor and glory, seemed tall compared to his former self, and now his parents understood. Hewitt did indeed know how to live among gigantic things, and because he was small, Hewitt was just as he should be. For his parents realized that big or small, either is best of all. And they could not have been more proud of Hewitt or loved him any more. And what a beautiful story that is, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And should we say that is the end? The end.